0: Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe, how are you? Hey Jules, happy new year. Happy new year, first recording of 2021. We made it, our podcast did not go under guys. (laughs) Literally
1: the 26th of January, but thank you all for bearing with us.
0: Yeah, it's been crazy. And I know that you've had a lot going on. How are you doing now? So I am still in Ireland. So I kind of kept that quiet on social media,
1: on Insta. Even though when we travelled home for Christmas, we were very much so allowed to. So we did all the stuff, you know, we isolated beforehand. We like travelled as safely as possible. We had a test, negative, all the rest of it. But when we were leaving London on the 19th, basically that was when the announcement was made that the new variations had been found. So we really like landed in Ireland. And it was like, oh my God, flights out of the UK have been canceled. And I was thinking, oh wow, we better let no one know that we're home because we would just look like the people who snuck basically. And then anyway, long story short, caught COVID at home in ireland despite our best efforts to avoid it and so called in the probably the worst year 2020 i finished it in isolation in my childhood bedroom with my husband
0: <laughs> So, also <laughs> oh, you guys basically just isolated in the bedroom we all started testing positive at different rates
1: so i was the first person to test positive so i had to isolate shortly after that my sister then my other sister then my mum and my husband and my dad did not test positive at all despite being in the house with us so yeah it was a reminder that this thing is serious but now six weeks later I am still in Ireland so
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's so serious especially with all the new strains of Covid and so I'm just so happy that I didn't catch anything or give anything traveling and now I'm just going to stay home
1: honestly I feel as though for some people and it's interesting that you say like I'm so glad I didn't catch anything or give anything for some people the social stigma aspect has completely like worn off it's not a thing at all but that for me was the worst part when I tested positive all I could think was Fortunately, we hadn't seen anyone because we were just having a family Christmas anyway. But my concern was so about, oh my gosh, I think people who catch it are people who haven't been taking it seriously. And now I seem like a person who isn't taking it seriously. And I think if more people cared about the social stigma aspect, the UK and Ireland wouldn't be in the situations that we are now in.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It is very tricky because, you know, we took the risk and we travelled over Christmas. And I know a lot of people that didn't see their families over Christmas. Mm -hmm. Right. So you do feel bad, you know, that you are travelling when we knew that Christmas was going to lead to a spike, a massive Mm -hmm. one, which it has like a spike that it doesn't seem the UK can recover from. So. It is a tough one. I have a lot of shame. Like, I did feel a bit bad for travelling. And then I'm like, "Oh, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Like, nobody got sick off the back of it. And I can't take that risk again. So that's why I'm staying home. Because I'm thinking we're not going to be lucky twice. So just stay home. And just hopefully things can open up at some point.
1: Totally. And I think 2020 was such a long year. And so people, myself included really rationalized oh well I can have Christmas because I've not had anything else and I can understand that even though obviously part of the reason I can understand that is because I did it myself um, but it was relentless at times when you could see other people like going out for drinks and having parties and all of this kind of stuff when you were just sitting at home it was very difficult to be like oh yeah we're all in this together yes yeah, just keep on just staying in the whatever four rooms of my house, I'll just go from the office to the kitchen and back
0: again. I think for me, like I have no interest in seeing anyone, and when mm-hmm. people say to me, "Hey, do you want to meet up? I'm so shocked by it. yeah, because totally. it's like I actually can't. and if you're my mate and you know me, like I have asthma, so don't invite me anywhere. <laughs> like leave me alone. I know I do a lot of running. <laughs> but I do have (laughs) asthma, I'm trying to take care of myself, don't put me at risk, leave me alone. I know,
1: well it was funny, I mean I don't want to, this is flogging a dead horse and I know that everyone is so sick and tired of hearing about and talking about COVID and I get you because there's nothing new to talk about but it was funny hearing my sister's experience of it during the summer because both of my sisters were at home my family live in the west coast of Ireland we live out in the country we've got a lot of room we're quite isolated without having to try to be and they were talking about you know long summer's the evening, sitting out in the garden, drinking wine, like it stays bright until about half past 10, 11 o'clock in the evening here. And just how chilled it was, and like going for long walks and everything. And I was thinking, God, I love London so much. But my husband and I have two walks that we do. And if we have time, we'll walk to Hampstead Heath. And if we don't, we'll walk to Alexandria Palace. And you wake up every morning and you're like, which of those two walks will I do today? Like, Yeah.
0: No, I've had the same thing with running. I'm like, ooh, it's, a bit, it's getting a bit repetitive now. Like, the routes are getting repetitive. And um, it's really crazy because there's literally an exodus now. So many people are leaving London. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a couple of friends who are, like, trying to move in London and just finding amazing deals. Oh, really? Yeah, there's, there are amazing deals now. And even if you go and look for a flat, it's like no deposit required. 30% off in Chelsea. There is a massive exodus of people moving out because, you you know, so it's a different world.
1: Mm-hmm. Like I said, I love London. I love where I live. I love the community, Crouch End and everything like that. But if I can't be a part of that community, I can't go out to the wine bar. I can't go out for food. I like my house, but my house could be anywhere. My husband and I can make anywhere our home, objectively speaking. And obviously, it's ironic that I should say that because I've had such connectivity issues today with the internet and starting recording and everything. So it's like, perhaps that's not totally true, but it's 60% true.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can be anywhere. You just need good internet. Mm-hmm. That's it. And you can be anywhere. So what have you been up to then for the past few weeks? How has your new year started? The thing is, my new year has started like the same as it always starts. Like I'm always someone that's trying to think about, you know, what am I trying to do this year? So obviously there's a lot of things that I'm trying to do. I don't want to bring everyone down. I know some people just like don't want to plan and stuff. So <laughs> that's perfectly fine. But that's part of who I am. So I've I've done a lot of that. And um, it's been, I think, just looking, thinking about COVID and thinking about the direction that the world is going in, like the UK is going in. I look at the UK, you know, and I think we're getting closer and closer to the US in the sense that, you know, our national health system, education, the fact that the government would say they didn't want to extend free school meals for kids. And I'm like, wow, we're really in a situation now where you need to take care of yourself. And mm-hmm. there was an interesting article I read published by Alistair Campbell about the sovereign individual. And the sovereign individual was basically a book that was co-authored by Jacob Rees-Mogg's dad. And essentially it's a libertarian manifesto. And it's like, take care of yourself. If you can't take care of yourself, that should hurt your own headache. I was talking to the GP and they were saying, oh, we need an updated blood pressure reading. And then she says, the doctor says, You know, you can buy your own blood pressure machine. They're not expensive because obviously we're trying to limit people coming to the practice. And a blood pressure reading machine is not expensive. Like, I'm happy to buy one, but it just shows you the direction that Mm -hmm. we're going in that I am in my 30s and I need to go and buy my own blood pressure machine because I can't go to the doctor and just get a reading.
1: It's so strange that as well. I mean, I sometimes it still feels like mystical to me how like gp services on the nhs work because gp services in ireland you just pay per visit so i mean gps would be like hey well come in and i can take off that plaster for you (laughs) why wouldn't you be 60 euro every time you go in like yeah people are not going to the gp willy-nilly but if you want an appointment by God, they'll give you one because they'll be like, "Yeah, absolutely, sixty quid." Are you joking?
0: So um, even in the pandemic, they're like, "Oh, come through."
1: To be fair, no, they aren't. But even under general circumstances, I feel that if I call up my doctor, you have to call. They open at eight. You've got to be calling them at seven fifty nine, so that you can just be letting that ring through, so that you can get your appointment. Because by eight oh two, they're booked up. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. And they might give you something in two, three weeks time if you're lucky. And it's just so strange to me that basically your your first port of call in the UK when you're trying to get a doctor's appointment is so difficult to navigate. They don't try to make that convenient for you.
0: Yeah, I think for me, where I live, if I call in the morning before pre-COVID, if I called in the morning, I could get an appointment on the day. Mm hmm because it's not super busy. But then if you want to do those, if you want to make an appointment, like not an emergency one, then you probably have to wait a while for it. But honestly, the biggest takeaway for me with everything that's happening right now, and I watch a lot of Dave Ramsey now. So I replaced my murder mystery with Dave Ramsey on YouTube. Do you follow him? No, I don't even know who that is. Oh my gosh. Dave Ramsey is a personal finance personality. He's big in the personal finance space. And a lot of the sort of young people getting into personal finance are like anti Dave Ramsey because they say that he shames people into getting out of debt. So you'll call Dave Ramsey and you'll say, oh, hi, Dave, uh, how are you? And Dave will be like better than I deserve. How can I help you? And then you'll say, oh, I have one hundred thousand worth of student loan debt. And then Dave will say, oh, so you a doctor, you a lawyer. And then the person will say, oh, no, Dave, I work in Walmart. And then Dave will say, so what's your household income? And the person will say, oh, $30,000. And then Dave will be like, I'm having a heart attack. I can't (laughs) even help you. It's not my debt and I'm having a heart
1: attack.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. And then Dave will be like, oh, that was a stupid decision. (laughs) And then people even call Dave and before they tell him their situation, they're like, Dave, I did something so stupid when I signed up for those student loans. Wow. And then um, and then Dave will ask them some questions and then the person will say, oh, I'm in 150000 worth of debt. And then my girlfriend is in like $100,000 worth of debt. And then Dave is like, that's not your girlfriend. That's your roommate. You're not married. <laughs> oh, my God. So... <laughs> is focus on your own debt personally me I think he gives great advice uh-huh. you know and then you have people that will say "Ah, oh, Dave do you think that like the Biden administration is going to wipe away like student debt like do you think that I should wait for student debt forgiveness and then Dave will be like you can't expect the government to help you no one's going to save you you need to help yourself oh my god He's absolutely right. And that's unfortunate, but it is true. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And so what I'm on now is like my financial independence and being Mm -hmm. the sovereign individual that I need to be to have a good life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's been funny. So I don't know how I found Dave, but all Dave network, all Dave Ramsey personalities, like I'm just, I spend my day playing them in the background. You're voting Tory. The thing is, I am able-bodied. I'm educated. I'm in a position where there is really no excuse for me to expect somebody else to come and save me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, there's no excuse for me to expect someone to give me a good pension or for someone to give me a good house. I believe in the welfare state because I think that there are people that are not in that position. And when you are vulnerable the government should step in. Or why am I paying taxes? Yeah, totally. I agree. So that's why I I wouldn't vote Tory because I actually don't believe in the philosophy. Like I don't believe that that's the way the world should be, but I accept this is the way the world is and it's going to get even harsher and I need to be living good. Yes. So that's how I see it.
1: There's a point at which it aligns, as you say, you know that you are always one accident away from being on a welfare state or in a welfare state position. So that I feel like is always at the back of your mind. But equally, I know the things I want and I know the things that I believe I deserve. And I know what is required in that equation is X amount of work or X amount of money to get me those things. And it's transactional to a degree, but because I know that I want it and I know that that's what's required, that's what I'll do basically. Absolutely. So one of the things, like, obviously, we've all been just spending a lot of time at home, my screen time has gone through the roof. One of the things that I have been reading a lot about, and I was super interested to hear your thoughts on, we may need to do a kind of a recap for anyone listening on this, but has been the Blumflower and Florence Given situation playing out currently on Instagram, most specifically.
0: Okay, so tell us who slumflower and florence givens are just for the people that don't know
1: so and this is very much so someone like learning from a grassroots perspective so anything that i get wrong here very happy to to hear feedback on it um i've followed slumflower for a little while before this all started um just because i thought that she had um, an interesting kind of vibe or aesthetic on instagram anyway but florence Given and Slumflower are both writers who were part of the Diving Bell Agency publishing house and
0: I believe that they are activists, they're body positive. Yeah so that's how I heard about Slumflower in terms of the body positivity stuff. So Mm -hmm. she was basically going on about how she's proud of her saggy boobs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so that's how I heard about her. And then I followed her for a while, but then the saggy boob movement doesn't really resonate with me. Mm-hmm. But that's the first time I, I heard of her. And I've never heard of the Florence Givens lady until I heard about the beef that her and Slump Hour have. But my understanding is that both online feminists, online activists, you know, they have written work where they're sharing their own experience and the big drama is that Slumflower, who is British Nigerian, is saying that Florence plagiarised her work. So that's really the big issue. So the, what the drama is, what the conversation is about, is you've got another young white author who Slumflower is saying is being given the credit for her work. Mm-hmm. So that's what's basically causing like all the issues online. It raises an interesting question there where...
1: How much proof do you need to provide? And in a situation where content, both of these books are anecdotal in nature and, you know, aren't based on significant studies or patented kind of theories or anything like that. How much of it is plagiarism and how much of it is actually that within a particular topic, there are only a certain amount of ideas to go around? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think it's very it's super tricky because like neither of us are big fans of their writing. Mm-hmm. So it's very tricky to analyze it on that level. I just find slum flowers, like how she's chosen to manage the situation really interesting because there's another trend online of, you know, and Rachel Cargill does this like on Friday, she'll be like send a black person, you know, a cash app, yeah. drop your cash apps, buy this person a coffee, et cetera. And what Slumflower was doing was basically saying she wanted Florence's books to be pulled mm-hmm. immediately. She wanted a percentage of her royalties.
1: She wanted 70% of her royalties. Yeah.
0: yeah, she wants 70% of her royalties. And then, you know, she was also dropping her cash app and trying to get people to send her reparations for this, essentially. And that's caused another conversation around this trend of people kind of pushing individual reparations? Hmm,
1: I think it's so interesting that you mentioned Rachel Cargill because I am old enough to remember, but seriously, like when Rachel Cargill started that initially, it was very much so centered on, listen, shout out a friend, this kind of cash app Friday thing. It wasn't send a black person, you know, or drop your cash out flow. It was like, think of who you know in your life, who you value and appreciate and send them money. Mm -hmm. and send them money to buy a coffee and just be like, listen, I appreciate you or I've not seen you in a while or whatever, et cetera. cetera. And that was a couple of years ago because that was at the place that we used to both work together when she was posting it in that sense. And like, listen, obviously as a white person, it's not for me to kind of wade into any conversations around reparations. But why not? Quite honestly, maybe this is more personal than generalist. I don't feel that I know enough about it. And I certainly don't know enough about how reparations, quote unquote, should work to feel that I'm able to speak on how they aren't supposed to work, which is I feel the criticism that's being levied at Slumflower
0: at the moment. Since reparations are a standard mm-hmm. thing in history, I'm sure like there are people that know how to figure it out. Like yes. In terms of me, <laughs> I can't say this is the way to do it, you know, but I think the challenge we have with, okay, yeah, it's online, it's become banter now, Like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, reparations. I make the same banter as well. So it's kind of becoming like banter. But there is like actually a bigger, more complex discussion that's happening. Mm -hmm. And if other groups get reparations, I see no reason why the conversation around people that are descendants of slaves, Black people who are descendants of slaves, I think it's a legitimate conversation to have. What's happening online with it being a bit of banter, a bit of send me a cash app. It's like dumbed the whole conversation down and that's a challenge we have with the internet is that everything is so about the vibes like mm-hmm. oh let's get into clubhouse and it's like our oh, vibes and then it's like you know everyone's tweeting about it that we think that there's a legit conversation happening and maybe mm-hmm. it's pushing the boat forward a bit but really it's not.
1: I knew about it in the sense of slave owners receiving that compensation. Yes. Yeah. I guess I'd never thought about the logistics of it and the the intricacies of it. And like I said, the idea that Black people would be paying into a system which then they would receive from. Do you know what I mean? Like the compensation owed to then descendants of the slave trade. It doesn't seem right that that should be from the tax dollars or tax pounds that they also pay.
0: Yeah, it's complex. Uh,
1: It's agree. And obviously I'm just... uh, layperson
0: yeah. unfortunately no one's crazy. asking me to actually sort it out <laughs> exactly no one's asking us to sort it out but it's like a company where they're like oh, we can't find diverse talent but, but you solve every other problem but you solve every other problem like what's going on why is this being made even bigger than it is but it will be interesting to see what happens with Flower now like I don't know what kind of impact this is going to have on like her brand and like her opportunities or if it's going to make her more popular because we never would have spoken about her before she's not someone we necessarily follow that's true although I feel as though is
1: my personal feeling on this and again I'm sure that people will get in touch but my personal feeling is that this has moved beyond the initial conversation that it was supposed to be And some of the Mm. things that I now see being written about Slumflower, it's like, this is completely besides the point. Like, you are making this a personal attack on her. And Mm. that just doesn't seem necessary. She's levied a legitimate critique against Mm -hmm. someone that she knew quite intimately, who was a fellow author at the agency that she was also with. Writing a book that is very, for all superficial, intense like very similar in nature and also I think one of the things that people aren't really talking about I say people aren't really talking about I'm sure someone's going to be like they're actually talking about that loads (laughs) Susie my sisters say that I'm on straight TikTok which is much lamer than like where all of the cool kids are actually producing content on TikTok so maybe I'm on like white Instagram where it's like not as good as what everybody else is seeing, but Florence Given, in a couple of instances, has used cartoon advertising of Black women to advertise her book. And it feels like that's a deliberate obfuscation of the fact that she is, in fact, white. And some people have said, oh, well, actually, this particular cartoon or this caricature really actually looks like Slumflower. So it feels like in especially a hurtful harsh deliberate thing to do to use that kind of imagery when you know that you're already being accused of appropriating
0: or plagiarizing this Mm. woman's content maybe we're in a situation where Florence is considered more marketable
1: Mm -hmm.
0: by the publishing house it's a message like female empowerment all of that is on trend and the publishing house were like yeah let's go and they've got two authors that are discussing similar themes but it is sad when you may be the person that did it first
1: mm-hmm.
0: but somebody that comes after you is more successful than mm-hmm. you and you think a part of that is based on you know the fact that they're
1: white regardless of which side you fall and Again, I'm just trying to do a recap of the points that I've understood as opposed to like outwardly condemning anyone that I don't have an intimate knowledge of. But it does seem that the criticism has like expanded far beyond the initial space that it was supposed to operate in. And that I think is very harsh, particularly when we live in such an alienated time. People's mm-hmm. mental health is is very fragile. And I think there is actually An interesting thing on the news the other day here where like the chief medical officer of one of Ireland's um, or Ireland's main kind of mental health facility, mental health hospital said that at the moment on social media in particular, you've got a lot of people giving very much so unauthorized medical advice, like
0: specifically around mental health. And they are people who are wildly underqualified to do so. But that's what's happening on Clubhouse. You know, you've got a massive thing on Clubhouse where social influencers are going on there and pushing an anti-vax message, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: pushing random messages when they're not medical professionals. Obviously, because we're living through a pandemic, this is a big one. Um, And I can imagine the same thing is happening around mental health. The same thing is happening around investing, Mm -hmm. where people are jumping on a clubhouse and like saying whatever, but you don't necessarily know how qualified all those people are. So that's why I find clubhouse really, really interesting because it's a place that's meant to be a bit serious or, you know, people are meant to be verified in a certain Mm -hmm. way, especially because you've got this um, referral network going. So it's still at that stage where, it's, you know, you've got this referral network going, it started off being just Silicon Valley tech guys, because that's the network of the founders. And our Mm. clubhouse is branching out and becoming so much more. You've got all these rappers that are joining clubhouse. (laughs) So you've got the game, you've got DMX, you've got You know all these kind of people from hip-hop culture tiffany haddish like everyone is on clubhouse now they're saying that wow you know there's so many black users that are flocking to clubhouse and have found really innovative ways to use the platform so now people are like oh wow okay you've got all this amazing content being created by black users on on clubhouse is your team diverse people are literally right to clubhouse and be like what does your head office look like though (laughs) And they're like, oh, you know, we don't discuss the demographics of our team, but we are committed to, like, making sure, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion is at the forefront, et cetera. So the thing about Clubhouse is that it started so late. They have an opportunity to do something different and interesting. Mm-hmm. But are they going to end up just like every other platform? I think the answer is yes. I
1: also think that it's going to have a burnout. Do you know what made me, like, what I was thinking with Clubhouse and like not to thank you so much to to Warwick my friend who invited me I'm very appreciative I used up my one invite by accident when I was trying I'm such a I know we say it all the time but I'm such a boomer and I sent my invite to someone and I was like hey I'm so sorry I didn't mean to send this to you but like you know if you want to join Clubhouse and she was like I am so old I don't know what this is I don't want to do it like and I was like
0: I don't know how to get my invite back from you, so I'm back to square one with, like, zero invites now. You can't. Um, That's the problem, because I sent my in one of my invites to someone on Android. I oh, know. And then they're like, oh, it's not available on Android, and it's gone. The invite is gone. The invite's gone. That's it. Like, so... Uh, but also,
1: I feel as though... I think it's going to burn out. One of the things I thought as I was, like, tuning into various things, going in and out of various rooms, is, like, oh, I feel now... Like, I would nearly be less excited to be given the opportunity to do a TED talk. Like, this is how they devalue a TED talk because now suddenly anyone can do one. And there are people who are, as you said, not qualified to be hosting the rooms that they're hosting, but they're like, uh-huh. hey, listen to my hot take on top 10 investments that you should be making.
0: Like, I was on a don't clubhouse for learning French, and the people hosting the clubhouse could barely speak French. Mm. Yeah. I was like, mate, I can actually host, I have intermediate French and I can do a better job of hosting this clubhouse. So, yeah, it's very interesting. But why do you think it will burn out? So, I think that this will be one of those things where
1: people will start to get fewer and fewer audiences. I also mm-hmm. think that we are addicted to seeing people. What we like is like Instagram stories, Instagram lives, TikToks, whatever. The idea that you are just, a faceless voice, I think, has less longevity. Oh, I say that, we're doing a podcast.
0: No, it doesn't. It has loads of longevity. Faceless voices are the way to go. But like- Actually, faceless voices are the way to go. There is a black girl in industry that absolutely killed it, Harper. And so my friends were talking about some finance-related stuff in industry on Twitter and then ended up reaching out to her and they did a clubhouse with her. The clubhouse literally went on for five hours. And so I think in the context of a pandemic, when you have to jump on video, this is so much work to be able to just say your opinion in your PJs. I think that's what the people want. Long form discussions. (laughs) I think having something that's low maintenance, there is a gap in the market for it.
1: No, that that is true. And maybe my thoughts on this aren't cultivated enough. I guess like one of the things around it being like, so just jump on, just give your thoughts. Mm-hmm. is a bit like, but have you thought about your thoughts? You know, sometimes when you listen to people talk and they're changing their mind mid-sentence and they're thinking, I might have been wrong on this
0: one. But that's the problem because I was in a clubhouse with medical professionals and I, they were talking about medical racism. Mm -hmm. and some of the causes behind sort of the disproportionate death rate, COVID death rate amongst black and ethnic minority people. I think it was mainly like a US discussion. So, and then there were some people from the UK. That's how I saw this clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Then a white guy in the clubhouse says, oh, how can white people help solve racism if we're not allowed to be a part of the conversation? And I just, and then one of the girls said, "Dave, let's call him Dave." (laughs) Said, "Dave, are you a medical professional?" And then (sighs) he's like, "Oh no, I didn't know this chat was for medical professionals." I will give it back. back." And then, um, you know, and what they said was so powerful. They said, "Dave, if you want to help solve racism, you should be speaking to white people. You don't need to speak to us about." solving racism we're not saying that white people cannot be a part of the conversation but we're saying that there need to be safe spaces where black people can get a break from racism i said oh my god yeah. i was touching my clubs i was like, oh my god clubhouse is so stressful <laughs> but honestly that's the thing, of people jumping into a conversation that prior to them seeing the headline of that chat they had never dedicated a second
1: mm-hmm.
0: to thinking about that topic mate Dave didn't even read the headline
1: of that chat. He's going, I didn't know this was about medical professionals. This man is like full-on crusty crab, spinning room moment. It was crazy. Maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll start wading into conversations that I'm also not qualified for. And if you get an invite from me to Clubhouse, you'll know
0: that I stuck my nose where it did not belong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I personally think that Clubhouse is a platform that we need. In this pandemic, and also I barely go on Clubhouse at the moment. But so much happens in Clubhouse, and because it's late, yeah. a lot of the time the conversation happened pretty late, you know. And then I wake up, and then it's like, oh, this is what happened in Clubhouse yesterday.
1: I know. And then you have to go; it traps you. It traps you because then you've got to go to Twitter to be like, okay, what happened on Clubhouse? And then it's like taking people to be like, was anyone in this room
0: last night? I got thinking. Somebody to said, do. Oh. Yeah, somebody was like, oh, other Clubhouse chats recorded. <laughs> it's over but I can sit on my own and listen for like five hours to recap oh my like God. what we're <laughs> saying it's so funny so yeah I, I personally do find it entertaining so we'll see how things go with Clubhouse but thank you so much for listening guys like it's good to be back let us know what your experiences of Clubhouse have been the good the bad and the ugly follow us on actual Phoebe And let us know if you weren't cool
1: enough to be invited yet because I know a couple of people who have expressed surprise that I'm on there and I take great (laughs) satisfaction in being like, oh, clubhouse, yeah, no big deal. Been on it for
0: a while now. (laughs) It's so satisfying when, you know, know, you're in the clubhouse and people are like, if anyone has an invite, send it (laughs) And you're like, I'm in and I have no invite, sorry.
1: (laughs) And I pulled that ladder up behind me. Guys, please yeah. share the podcast with a friend. We will speak to you soon. Um, but thanks for listening.
0: Bye. Bye.